Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. And over the next few weeks, we will be encountering stories of those who follow Christ into places where they come to reveal, have revealed to them the fullness of who God is. And many times, Jesus brought abundance to where there was desertedness, where there was nothingness. And every one of these encounters reminds us that we're becoming something that we're not yet. And one day we will look back and see that we're different because we followed Christ. And this is one story that his disciples would come to understand Jesus differently and see uh, that they could be different in how they understood meeting the needs of the world. So we pick up on verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came and said to him, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowd away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So like many of you, I like a good novel. And a really good writer of a novel does a lot of work to develop the characters and much of that work is done by giving us insights to the inner thinkings of the characters or the inner thinkings of the narrator as they watch things unfold. And I love our scriptures and the authors of our scriptures, and I'm particularly fond of the narratives that resonate so well with the human experience. But it's rare in our Gospels, it's rare in the scriptures, actually, that our authors give us insights on what people are thinking and what they're feeling on the inside. Now, I don't think this is bad, though. I think it gives us an opportunity. To some degree, it gives us a freedom of a healthy speculation and wondering what might we be feeling if we were in the shoes of those for whom we read, allowing us to relate to these stories in a very rich and wonderful way. Today, I believe, is one of those stories. What is Jesus thinking when he gets into a boat to find a deserted place to be by himself? Without a doubt, he entered this deserted place with a very heavy heart. He has just received news of the devastating death of his cousin, John the Baptist. After hearing that, that's when he gets into the boats and makes his way to this place. Herod had imprisoned John for being a bother to him. 
But during that time, Herod decided to throw himself a birthday party. And at that banquet, his sister-in-law's daughter dances a dance, and he's so impressed with it that he offers her anything of her asking as a gift. Now this, of course, was a moment that he could lift himself up to show his generosity by showing those that even at his own birthday party, he is giving gifts away. But he did not expect what was coming next. The dancing girl's mother had been the target of John's moral criticisms because of Herod's want of her. And her resentment prompts her to ask her daughter to do a very dark thing. And that's to ask for the head of John. There are many stories like this in the scripture, but this one ranks up there as one of the most disturbing. John had indeed made Herod's life difficult, and he had long wanted to put an end to John. But he refrained because he knew that he would get backlash from the community and John's followers. But this time, his vanity would push him over the edge. It would have been embarrassment to say no and to show weakness. So he agrees to this request. Now that background's important, I believe, because it does give us some insight on what Jesus perhaps was dealing with and feeling himself as he made his way to this place. Without a doubt, he enters this, this location of being alone, this deserted place, burdened by the senseless death of John. It seems not even John the Baptist is immune to the senselessness of the loss of life in the world. One of the entry points that you and I might have to this story is that we know full well what it's like to see needless acts of violence in our world. Malevolence crops up in our midst and we witness cruelties that burden our collective hearts. Lives are taken that should not be taken. It would be one thing if John the Baptist had lost his life because of something more symbolic or or meaningful, but not here. And I want to zero in a little bit on this details of this story for a moment. What does it mean that Jesus found a deserted place? What constitutes a, a deserted place? If we think of it practically, he may have simply entered a wilderness area uninhabited by people. A lonely place if you want to be around people, but a desirable place if you want to be alone, as seems to be the case here. Sometimes we call something or a place deserted because it's been abandoned and no one is there. We can also say a place is deserted if it's populated. For example, a place might have a population but still deprived of help and resources and protections. A neglected place. And notice that when the disciples towards the end of this day, talk to Jesus, they tell him that this place is deserted. That's a strange thing for them to say because there were 5,000 plus people there. How was it possibly deserted in that moment? There's often a level of sadness and disappointment when we enter a deserted place. Jesus' state of mind reflects such a place as he goes alone. And this story is often talked about That sometimes the demands of life and ministry can keep us from getting away from things to rest and maybe to ignore Sabbath rest. And maybe Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to get away. Well, that may be true. We are a Sabbath people. But I don't think that's why this story is here. I don't think that is the central purpose of it. We find this story in all four Gospels. And it's important, but much more 
than a story about getting rest here. There is no rest in this story. I believe this is a story about Jesus entering deserted places in the world to bring redemption, to bring healing, to care for those that the world often abandons, deserts. It's a story that invites us to find ways to bring meaning into our world in the face of meaningless acts. Very soon after Jesus' arrival, this deserted place is full of deserted people to find meaning with Christ. Who are these folks who have come to find Jesus? These are not people who refuse to give Jesus a moment alone. These are people who share the same burdens that Jesus is feeling in this very moment. How many of them have been on the receiving end of the pride and the anger of those just like Herod? Israel's story, our story of faith, begins with folks like Pharaoh, Saul, Pilate, and Herod, profoundly violent leaders at times. No, these folks who meet Jesus in the wilderness are kindred souls because they are there as Jesus is there. They are seeking healing and guidance and understanding, and they have found a kindred soul in Christ. They have found him as one worth following. Maybe even some of these followers grieved the death of John. Now, there's no mention of Jesus being disappointed because he's been interrupted here. Instead, we very much see that Jesus finds himself in good company and he quickly offers compassion. And once more, if we keep following Jesus along, we will consistently find him reaching out and being with those who have been deserted and left alone in the world. Jesus said that the kingdom of God, in fact, would one day be theirs. So what we have on this hillside, in this, grassy, in this grassy area, we have a vision of the kingdom of God. This, this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. These are the heirs of the kingdom. Imagine 5,000 people coming with questions about what to do when the world seems harsh. What to do when we lack physical and actual and spiritual resources. What to do in a world that is bent against them. And if the church is the body of Christ, then what do we have to offer today to a world that sometimes feels abandoned and deserted? This story reminds us that it begins with compassion. In truth, we really don't have to use our imaginations very much these days, do we? Of seeing thousands of people gathered in places that most days do not have large, large crowds. We have seen gatherings each day for over a month now in our nation. No, not all gatherings have been peaceful, but many and most have. And each one of these protests, each one of these prayer vigils and walks speak to the hurt and the violence of racism in our world. And the truth is we live in a very vulnerable moment. We live in a moment where pandemics and pleas for a just world are taking place all at once at the same time. And just this week, as you may have read, our bishop asked that as upcoming decisions are made in the Breonna Taylor case, 
not knowing how all things will go, that in the event of civil unrest, our United Methodist clergy and laity to be involved in making sure people are heard and their spiritual needs are met. He asks that we, among other things, prayerfully consider offering a space for meditation that is mindfully staffed with non-judgmental Christian people who could offer a metaphorical shoulder to cry on or lean on or listening ear for those who need to talk. I must confess, if creating a place where deeper listening and understanding is a primary purpose, that does not sound like an easy task these days. We do seem to live in a world where speaking and being heard takes priority over listening and understanding. And as Christians, I fear, sometimes we can make this even harder. How can we possibly create a space in the world where people value listening and understanding and asking good questions? How can we carve out a place in our hearts and our lives in response to differences so that we might meet one another with curiosity and compassion and a willingness to understand and maybe think differently? But maybe a better question is this. How can we not? This is not the first time in the Bible where large groups of people were fed with a small amount of food until their hunger is satisfied. And in fact, it's quite a common story in the Bible. Way back in 2 Kings, a man came to Elijah bringing his first fruits, loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain. He put them in a sack as a very generous gift to Elijah. It was a generous amount of food for one person, but Elijah wanted to feed the 100 other people with him. So he told the man to feed them with what he brought. The man says, how, how can I set this before a hundred people? He was worried and understandably so that he did not come prepared for that because he had not. He came to give Elijah a gift. This would have been an embarrassment to him because now this gift of abundance for one person, well, it felt small. It felt small now because he was being asked to do more than he thought he could do. And Elijah says, give it to the people. Let them eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall not eat, they shall eat and have some left. And he said it before them, they ate, they had some left, according to the word of the Lord. That is exactly what happens in our story today. So here Jesus is not doing something that had never been done before. But Matthew makes it clear that Jesus did way more. There were 5,000 people, not including women and children here. And this small detail reminds us that women and children in that day were not counted as men were, revealing yet another layer of those who may feel abandoned here. But this means that Jesus led the disciples to accomplish at least 50 times more with more than 10 times less on hand. God did the same thing with the widow in Zarephath. And God did the same thing when he fed Israel manna in the wilderness. In the grace of today's story, it is as old as the story of God. God can accomplish all things through us. God is always able to bring abundance in deserted places. And because we have Christ, so can we. We can be a church where stories are shared and lives are changed. We can ask hard questions, hear hard truths, and still love one another.
We can show up in the deserted corners around the world with an abundance of compassion and healing and sustenance, and we can become a new creation. We, in fact, exist for this very reason, church. We may sometimes feel small to the tasks before us, but we are obliged to give what we have to make a more loving world. Leaning for a moment on the words and the thoughts of Liz Barrington Fournay, our primary limitation is never a lack of resources, but amnesia, our forgetting to offer up what we have been given by the one whose desire is it that it is to bless us. God in Christ stands ready to heal and redeem and restore and reconcile. And our role is to take responsibility in offering up our part, even as small as we may think it is, to collaborate with God. And in this passage, we are shown a new way forward. We learn about our responsibility for one another and about God's trust in us to provide with God's help to meet all the needs of the community. And we see the miracle unfold in our own day and time when we renounce messages of scarcity, feel like we don't have enough, but turn to God in faith, offering what we have and allowing and trusting that God will multiply even the smallest of gifts. Today's story tells us that we offer compassion where there's disappointment. We offer abundance where there's abandonment. But there's one more description of a deserted place that I think is worth contemplating now. You see, an abandoned place is also the perfect place to cultivate something new. In other words, deserted or empty spaces are waiting for a new creation, something new to happen. So what are the things that we have, small as we might see them, but can contribute to the healing of our world today? What can we contribute that we're bringing about a more equitable world. Now these disciples, they had every reason to notice the limitations they had when Jesus said to feed these 5,000 plus people in the wilderness. We too must take notice that facing today's realities beyond is beyond our abilities on our own. It was a ludicrous request of Jesus that 12 people feed 5,000 with no grocery store around. No, we are not on our own equipped to do what we need to bring abundance and peace where there is sadness and hurt and illness. But from where will our help come? What do we do? What do we have to give that will bring healing and hurting? You see, Jesus' grand miracle came in response of a senseless and a heartbreaking moment. So may this story inspire our understandings and our responses to any hurting, heartbreaking moment in the seasons for which we face. And today, Jesus looks at us and says to us, look in your basket, friends. What do you have? Now use that thing that you have. Give it to the world for healing and justice and belonging and sustenance. What we have are our resources to share. What we have are voices that can be heard by speaking truth to love. We have our bodies to be present and showing up often makes such a huge difference. We have compassion that might break our hearts in the moment, but leads us to compassionate living. 
We have confession that helps us face our sins and our wrongs and our shortcomings, but leads us to make things right again. We have forgiveness that can heal the oldest of wounds. And we have a resurrection that reminds us that not even death can separate us from the love of God. And above all, in all this, we have the church. We have a diverse community of people around the world who know the extravagant love of God. And now is the time for the church in all places to be extravagant so that we can bring abundance in every deserted place. And when we come to this holy and sacred meal this morning, it reminds us that Christ had us an abundance of mercy and grace and forgiveness, and that we are redeemed. Sometimes, folks, we are the deserted place. Sometimes we pour ourselves out to the point of being empty. But as we come to this table, as we remember Holy Communion, May Christ fill us full. Thanks be to God. Amen.